Ichiwai. Good evening. I hope you've had a wonderful week. I'm your host, Stephanie, and I'll be sharing short weekly dance stories with you during the Irish winter months between Samhain and Imbolc to make those long winter nights a bit less long for you. You will find a new story every Sunday night at 9pm Irish time. I hope you're cosy and warm where you are. Now sit back, settle in and enjoy the story. Episode 14 A field trip with unexpected outcome Tonight I'm going to talk to you about something very special. Something that might not be quite known to many when thinking about Irish dance, but something I was very lucky to witness myself and experience and truly fell in love with it. And it's just something too beautiful not to share here. And I would like to spread that out and let people know what a beautiful art form is being cultivated in Ulster, in the northern part of Ireland, but especially in Northern Ireland. What I'm talking about is festival dancing. Perhaps you've heard of Patricia Mulholland before. She was born in 1915 and she was a choreographer, teacher, dancer and musician. And basically it's due to her love and passion for dance that festival dance emerged. There's quite a story about how she taught her students how to dance and what I found beautiful about her biography was that she never made a difference about what background a student had. Whatever religion the student came from, she wouldn't care. In fact, there's a gorgeous story about it in the deep green pool the Life, Work and Legacy of Patricia Mulholland, a book written by Joyce Anne McCafferty and Paul Hipsley. In there it is told that on a Sunday she would bring all her students to their respective churches to go to Mass, and then after Mass she would collect them all from the different churches and all go together to the same fesh, to the same competition because she just felt dancing is the most important thing and she wanted to cultivate it and she wanted to pass that on to her students no matter what. So I don't want to get too much into politics here but over the years when Irish dancing got institutionalized they were certain people who had a certain idea on what it had to look like or what it had to be like. And what I really love about Patricia is that she just never bent to the rules and at some point when the governing body was saying all teachers have to sign up as a teacher with this institution or else you're not allowed participating in the championships, you know, in the competitions. She would just go off and do her own thing, you know, despite of everything. And, and she did fantastic. And she choreographed plays, you know, attached to the Irish lore and made beautiful plays. And she spread her love for dance and her passion for dance around 
and influenced so many dancers in the north to continue like that, you know. There's a Patricia Mulholland collection over at the National Dance Archives of Ireland in Limerick, in the Glucksman Library. I was really lucky to have a look through it and there are even costumes there, you know, that she used during those plays and it's just fascinating to sit there and touch an old costume that has been worn for something that was put out on stage and brought so many smiles to people, you know, and it was just something very unique to do and very moving. So at the time I was studying at the University of Limerick and I had to write a paper for one of the courses called Critical Encounters with Irish Traditional Dance. So I didn't know that much about festival dancing at the time either and I just saw a few videos online and really wished I would be able to attend one of their competitions one day. So my initial plan was to write about Patricia Mulholland and about the history and that was my main focus. So I was very lucky that there was a competition happening while we were still off at university. And it wasn't easy to find. There was lots of information missing. I think if you're an outsider, you don't really see much about it. It's not, it's not a dance style that broadcasts itself either. They're happily kept to themselves a bit. There's no hype about it made like in some other dance forms. That gives me the impression that they're very humble. And perhaps it's more about the dancing rather than putting an ego out there. But I went to Belfast so and stayed in a hostel and took a taxi out. It was in the middle of nowhere on a cold and sunny beautiful morning in February 2018. And I went to see the Belfast Festival of Irish Dance, which was the name of their competition. And I had been in touch with a few of the people there, the organiser and other people. And they welcomed me with open arms. Me, they, they hadn't a clue who I was. And just, I felt so welcome and they were so kind to me and answered all of my questions and we chatted and they took me under their wing, really. And I just felt so comfortable around them, you know, they were really friendly people. And I sat down then and the competition started, which, by the way, they call classes. They don't call them competitions, but classes. So the whole event was taking place for a whole week already and this was their last day which meant it was the older dancers would be there dancing and competing. And I don't know how much you know yourself about festival dance, but their dresses are quite traditional still. You know, they have traditional embroidery around the hems or the necklines. They're made out of velvet mostly. They barely have any rhinestones or any glitter on it. You know, they're, they're kept quite simply, but nevertheless, they're so beautiful, you know. And there's no wigs worn and not much makeup. You know, it, it's not like really done up like in other dance styles you'd find. So the dancers, if they're ladies, they wear their hair down, you know, just in a half ponytail on the back, you know. And the musicians, they're always the same, especially the lady, Rosemary. She's been playing at the festivals for about 50 years, apparently. And she was on the piano and Ian McKay was on the fiddle. And you can really hear that they've been playing for a long time together. They just match so well. And the tunes, oh my gosh, the tunes, they're something else, something like from another world. Many of them are in minor and 
just so beautiful like fairy tale kind of tunes you know like really the tunes that perhaps you would imagine you know on a misty morning in Ireland you know especially if you're not from Ireland <laughs> maybe some sort of romanticized imagination or vision Really, many of the tunes are quite particular tunes and tunes that you wouldn't really hear in the South or tunes that, I mean, I, I, I come around a lot, I go to a lot of sessions and I know through dance as well, through all the set dances and the Irish dancing, I would say I would know quite a lot of tunes, but many of these tunes from the North, they're different, you know. There'll be tunes that I would have never heard of before and just played so intently, you know, so vividly, like telling a story and just so gentle and so soft. It's really an experience. So I remember sitting there in the theatre looking at the first class dancing and it was the soft shoe class and they wouldn't be wearing the gillies like, you know, in, in the other types of Irish dances but it's some type of of canvas ghillie you know it looks a bit like the ballet shoes you know the ballet practice shoes not the hard ones where you stand on your tips but the, the canvasy ones it looks a bit like them also with elastic bands holding on and I mean I looked at them I held one in my hands there's no support inside there's no sole it's really just basically the canvas and you would not believe how high these dancers can stand on their toes. I mean, talk about strength of the foot, you know. And they're so high up on their toes and they do these gorgeous movements in a much slower way that you would know from the other type of Irish dance, you know, or from shanos or set dance, you know. And what's also very unique about their style is that they allow... Like their facial expression is not a put on smile. It's really basically kind of like a stage face. They're allowed to, even encouraged to express the dance as well through their look, through their faces, by looking down, looking over, by turning their faces and their heads while their body is going in an opposite direction. You know, they are allowed to keep their faces towards the audience whereas in competitive Irish dance from other organizations you're not allowed doing that you know you're supposed to always keep your head straight in front of you so to say you know like you're not supposed to turn your head no matter what that's what we've always been told so the first few dances were there and you had the music and the style and the costuming and the movements, the soft, gorgeous movements with some steps I had never seen before, you know, steps that were really nicely put together and a lot of high kicks, you know, a lot of, not the high kicks that I would be like going high up, touching the nose and then straight back down, like you would see at other competitions, but it's like a very slow and elegant motion going slowly up and then down and one two three and turns and I really I literally 
I sat there and I don't know what happens, like this whole massive emotion washed over me and I sat there in tears looking at it and apologies to anyone else from the south or dancing the Irish step dance from other institutions but I'm just explaining what thoughts went through my head and those thoughts were saying to me what have we been doing all these years you know it was like a slap to my face in a way and it's not that one style is better than the other or one style is doing it right and the other is doing it wrong but it's just how it felt in that particular moment you know it felt like coming from competitions for so many years from dancing that style for so many years and then you see something completely different and a different way of doing things that doesn't come across stressed or doesn't come across aggressive which i'm not saying it's always like that you know there's beautiful steps and if if you have got a really good dancer that dancer can completely make it look really easy and not aggressive but it was just it seemed so gentle in comparison and just so different that it seemed to me anyway that the way the other style was taken with so much athleticism involved in it would put sport and athleticism in front of everything else rather maybe than artistic expression or or maybe it was that there's you know there's no room or nearly no room for artistic expression when you just have to go on stage and you smile or you have to smile you have to put on a smile most of them do if you don't it looks like mm, that dancer is not smiling you know it doesn't give a good impression I mean for us everywhere we go on stage you know we, we might be frightened or something we're side stage all nervous we go on stage we put on a smile and we finish smiling the second we get off the stage perhaps perhaps we keep smiling because we're happy it's over or because it went really well or we had so much fun you know but in the festival style and there's actually a really beautiful video that shows it really nicely on YouTube it's called Festival Irish Dance Parade of Champions 2019 it's a video by Kirsty Caldwell and was done at the Ulster Championships in fall 2019 which I had attended as well and I remember I was I was actually filming right behind this girl who was filming and then By the time I was ready to put the video up, she had put it up, so I didn't bother putting up mine. But it shows exactly something that I saw that really fascinated me because you had a parade of champions there of all the festival dancers. So all the best dancers of the week, you know, and the Ulster Championship would be for them, you know, like their world championship, like the biggest ever competition of the year. And they're introducing all the dancers, you know, by name and everything. The first girl dancing the slip jig. It's a little girl, I think she's dancing under seven or something, in a wee purple dress and red hair, and she has the biggest smile on her. And she's happy out there. I mean, she just won the biggest prize ever that you could wish for in that type of dancing, you know. And she points her toe and she's getting ready for the dance and the music sets in and it's so pretty. And she smiles and smiles and smiles and would you believe the moment she has to start dancing she puts on this stern serious face like her complete appearance changes and you just see it's it's a performance 
you know, it's a dance, it's art, what she's doing there on stage. And she's dancing away and she's doing her steps and does her 16 bars on the right, 16 bars on the left. And she finishes. And that's when she's smiling again, you know, she gives this broad, massive, cheeky, gorgeous smile, bows and goes back standing in a line. You know, that was such a nice expression of the differences you know about when you go on stage when do you smile and what is part of the dance I just thought it was fascinating but so I was sitting there during the competition looking at everything and observing and writing notes and the surprising turnout of this whole field trip was that I ended up being very intrigued about something that I had never seen before not in that extent anyway. And I found myself writing many, many, many notes about it. And it was about the feedback giving. But I dug out my paper for you here and will read my observations of what was happening there with an adjudicator in that particular class. And there was an adjudicator, a very friendly woman called Gail Johnson. So I wrote in my paper... Dancers would line up side stage and compete two at a time before the adjudicator, who was sitting by a secluded table in front of the stage. After two to three classes, there would be a pause where Johnson would finalize the results and comments, still sitting at the table. Then she would get up and the conversations in the hall would go quiet. The audience, all friends and family of the dancers as far as I could tell, then would applause. Johnston would take the microphone and firstly say a few encouraging words about the whole event, particular classes and level of the dancing. She would then proceed on calling out the results. She would start with the winner of that particular class, explaining why she picked that dancer and what she was looking for in a dancer, dancing that specific rhythm. She would then call out the starting number of the dancer, look for them in the audience and address them personally by giving more explicit reasons of things she liked in their performance and also giving constructive criticism as to what they could be working on to improve the dancing. Gail would call out the first three places at regular classes, sometimes calling out a few more dancers she would highly commend, and place all participants at championships. For the championship results, she had explicit remarks for each and every individual competing, she always looked for eye contact with the mentioned dancer and explained what she really liked about him, giving constructive criticism where she felt was needed. The tone of her voice was very soft, benevolent and full of kindness. She was always very encouraging towards every single dancer and would, once in a while, light up the hall with a humorous comment. After the oral adjudication, the result would be called out again and she would hand out the medals and trophies herself shaking hands with every dancer and congratulating them once more. As results were being called out, the audience kept quiet. There was no big roaring going on when first or any other place was called out, like I've experienced at commission competitions. The winners would sit tranquilly, smile and listen intently to what the adjudicator was telling them. There would be clapping after every oral feedback. The whole ambience in the hall was overall laid back, friendly, and with no visible tension in the air. Parents and friends would all clap for each other, regardless which dancing school they were involved in themselves. 
and adding to that passage for you also, just so you understand, you know, this lady would also explicitly explain that today she would give these results out, but next week she might have had a different opinion and the dancers would have a different day. They would be in a better form or not so good form afterwards, you know. So she really stressed telling over and over again that this was just her personal opinion and just her personal opinion of that particular day about that one particular performance which I just thought was really beautiful and just so healthy but about the paper I just ended up writing a whole paper analyzing oral feedback through the different competitions you know with my own experience and it got into a really deep analysis of everything which I'm not going to go into and bore you with details with but it was just to me like a very mind-broadening experience you know to see how other organizations do things differently and how other organizations do traditional Irish dance differently that it can be done differently that they're as much Irish dance as any other type of Irish dance and I just feel so bad they're never really talked about or they're not really included like so many times you see reports on TV or in newspapers or something and the only thing they talk about is river dance and lord of the dance that's it nothing else nothing of the old style traditional step dancing types you know and i'm not talking about channels but that too and nothing about festival dance and it's just that i wish that all irish dance forms would get equal recognition because they're all equally valid they're all irish dance they're all part of ireland they're all part of this culture and of this tradition. And yeah, I can really recommend that book. Again, The Deep Green Pool, The Life, Work and Legacy of Patricia Mulholland by Joyce Ann McCafferty and Paul Hipsley. Because even that, someone told me that in Belfast in the library, that book wasn't put with the dancing books. That book was put out there with... I think just in another section which is like why would you not put it there this was a very influential important figure in Irish traditional step dance you know so this is my homage towards festival dancing a gorgeous beautiful art form beautiful dance form that I feel very lucky I was able to have a look and I can't wait to go back and have a look again or even immerse myself somewhere with life classes when all this is over and I hope someday you'll get to see this beautiful dance type dance life for you as well somewhere or at least hear the gorgeous tunes that they play because it's really something tremendously incredibly beautiful
You have been listening to an episode of Ichewai, a storytelling podcast by Schkielte Dosa. I hope you've enjoyed this evening's story. Feel free to pass it on to anyone you think might enjoy this or be happy about a bit of entertainment now during the winter months. If you wish to support my projects, you may send a wee donation to paypal.me slash I always appreciate every cent. The music you hear is Fairy Garden by Chris Collins and you can find it on IndieMusicBox.com I will see you again next Sunday. Have a lovely night and a good start into the next week tomorrow. Ichewai.